Good day, everyone, and welcome to another Overflow Pod. We're on part two of our Christmas fun series, so if you missed last pod, go check that one out before this one because it won't make much sense. (laughs) So I was watching football this past Sunday, and the game that was on was Detroit Lions versus the New Orleans Saints. And Detroit, for the first time in 30 years, has a great record and has playoff aspirations. Imagine being a fan of a team that last won a playoff game 35 years ago, or 30 years ago. And then before that, it was 35 years ago. So two playoff wins since 1957. Ouch. Now, they also played on Thanksgiving, and they played horrible. So here we have the next week's game after they played horrible, and they played much better. They had this crazy desire to come out and play better. They even talked about it in the pregame. And they did. They scored 21 points in the first seven minutes. I've never seen that before. I mean, 21 points in seven minutes. That's a lot. They were like a team possessed with the desire to win. But then something happened. They got lazy. And the Saints came back and almost won the game. But eventually Detroit pulled it out in the end. I think that's what happened with desire. Their desire started off super strong. But... After they scored 21 points, it's, they, it seemed to go away, thinking they've already won when they had it. Desire can fade with situations and over time. So last week I said in order to worship at Christmas, along with all the other fun things that we do, we need to follow the examples of the wise men who traveled far from the east, hundreds of miles through deserts and dangerous situations to worship Jesus. And their desire to worship overcame all the obstacles. That is what we need to worship Jesus at Christmas. We first need desire. And I asked you to really spend last week getting that desire amongst all the business, but you gotta be careful since once you have the desire, it can fade as fast as you can get it. So we start with the desire to worship God That is what the wise men showed us at the first Christmas. Second, in order to worship God at Christmas, we need to develop an expectant spirit. You expect Jesus to show up. You expect God to show up. This is a faith factor. There's something about it. God can surprise us and work above our expectation. But there's something about your faith. There's something about your expectation that causes God to work in powerful ways. When you expect to meet God in worship, you tend to meet God in worship. And if you don't, you never will. Now, these wise men, they came and they expected to meet Jesus. They expected to meet the Messiah. They expected to meet their king. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, the wise men say, Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. There's no if there. They expected him to be there. There's no doubt. They expected him to show up. And when they showed up, they expected to find Jesus and expected to worship. And there's a great lesson there. There's something about if you spend just a few times on your way to worship, whether it's a worship service or worship by yourself, expecting Jesus to show up. Just 30 seconds can make all the difference in the world. I expect you to be here. Imagine doing that before you go to church. I think your church experience would change. I think it'd be a lot better. It's pretty interesting when you look at the first Christmas, the story that we started last week, different people and their different attitudes. 
I mean, you have the wise men, right? Then you got Herod the king, who's going to see Jesus as a rival and try to destroy him. Then you have the religious leaders who hung around Herod, who tell them where to find Jesus as if it's obvious. If you look at them, they all had different attitudes. The wise men, they were expected. They expected Jesus to show up. Herod, he was resistant. He didn't want Jesus to show up. He was pushing back against it. But the religious leaders, they were indifferent. They were thinking, yeah, we know it. We got it memorized. We know the answer from the Old Testament. He's in Bethlehem. That's where he's supposed to be. But do you notice? They didn't show up in Bethlehem. They didn't follow the wise men. They knew the answer. But they just didn't do anything about it. See, God can work a lot better with expectant and resistant people than he can with the indifferent. The indifferent people are the worst. Jesus once said, said, he said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm or I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. There's something about indifference when it comes to worship that just kills our heart. But if you've been trying to do this for any length of time, trying to worship, you know that it's hard to not become familiar with it, right? These religious leaders, they became familiar with the truth, so they knew the truth, but it didn't impact their life. So you can become familiar with church worship, and it starts, you know, being same old, same old. I mean, the first time you come to a worship service in a place, it's like awesome. It's like heaven opens up. You're there, and it's it's pretty cool, and you never experienced this before. But then after you've been there a few months, you know, you're sitting there counting the wood beams on the ceiling. Oh, wait, maybe that was just me. <laughs> trying to keep from going to sleep. You're trying to stay focused. It's work to not get indifferent. It is hard to not get too familiar with it. You and I have to do something so that we stay focused, that we stay expectant. There's a lot of things you can do, but these wise men teach us one of the main things you can do. When these wise men came, they asked a question. That question helped them to find Jesus. Where is the one? One of the things you can do to keep your attitude of expectancy going is is to ask God questions. Ask God questions about your life. Then come to worship and wait for him to answer you. Now, the truth of the matter is there's some questions in your life that are only going to be answered in worship. Questions like, what's God really like? Questions like, why is there evil in the world and why is this evil happening to me? Questions like, how am I going to find hope in this circumstance? Now, I can give you a logical answer to a lot of those questions, but it's not going to be enough for you. You need more than just logic. You need something that goes to the depths of your very soul. And that's what happens in worship. And that's where you recognize that even though I may not be able to comprehend or understand or grasp it all, God is great enough to do that. There's something that happens in worship that answers those deepest questions of life. And when you need an answer that goes to the depth of your soul, you need worship. So ask the questions that are on your mind to God. God, why? God, how? God, when? You ask him that question, the answer is probably not going to immediately flood your mind. It might, but over time, as you worship, there will be a confidence about God's answer in that situation, in that circumstance. And that's what happens in worship. It's part of worship. Part of worship is building the expectancy, this faith in our lives. That's what the wise men teach us. And as you continue on this journey with the wise men of worship, the third thing they teach us, that in order to worship, you have to choose to express joy. 
These wise men in Matthew 2.10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They chose to express joy. Actually, the Greek words that are used here, it's literally like they rejoiced with great joy, great exceedingly joy. It's just great all over. They're like overflowing. They didn't just smile. They openly expressed it. And if you don't enjoy the love of Jesus, you're not really communicating with him in worship. See, part of worship is connecting with him with the difficult, the hard questions of life. But also, another part is to be connecting with him with joy. The fact that he loves you. The fact that he gave everything for you. That he died for you. For your salvation. The joy of the fact that no matter what, he has a plan for you in your life. He has eternity for you. There's joy in that. It just drips with it. And when you think about expressing joy, because they didn't just have joy, they expressed it. It's There's a couple things to remember. Because I think we can get caught up in how we express our joy. So first, when it comes to express joy, do it in your personality. You don't have to change personalities to express joy. Like you see a bubbly person over in another row when you're in church or something. And do you have to become like him? Do I have to become like her to be a joyful person? No. You gotta be you. Remember, you're unique. My dad growing up, whenever he sang his favorite song in church, he hardly showed any emotion. But what I noticed with him was subtle things. He sang louder. He sang stronger. He sang more fervently. Sometimes his fists were clenched. That was my dad singing and worshiping with joy. He was super stoic. Even when we watched football and his team would win the Super Bowl, the only emotional outburst was a smile. And maybe, I think it was on the third Super Bowl that his team won, he said, yeah, that was my dad. So for him to worship God with a loud voice was equivalent to someone else jumping around, shouting, clapping, and acting crazy. Express joy with your personality, whatever that is. Then the second thing you need to remember as you express joy is to watch out for the cliches. Oh, we've got so many Christian cliches and Christian cliche actions. And at the beginning, they were just a natural expression. But when all Christians start to do the same thing, they can very easily become a cliche. So what's a cliche for one person isn't for another. I get that. But if you have to do it because you did it before, it can become a cliche for you. So you may want to stop. Stop doing what everybody else is doing and do what feels natural to you. If you ever look around and you feel self-conscious, maybe you shouldn't do what other people are doing. Or you feel like pressured into doing that, don't. Stop doing what everybody else is doing and do what feels natural to you, who you are. So worship Jesus with your personality. And naturally what comes to you, not according to a cliche. So everyone is clapping around you, but you don't feel like it? Don't do it. Don't feel guilty about it. You are you and they are them. It's whatever fits you for you in worship. And that's how you worship. Walking with the wise men, there's also a fourth thing that they teach us. Decide to humble yourself. It's quite a moment in history when these great men, these wise men from the East, show up to Bethlehem and they bow before a baby. Matthew 2.11 says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. They recognized they were in the presence of someone greater, so they couldn't help it. They bowed down. They didn't just say this new king to lead a country. They knew there was something greater here. You and I, when we worship, it's when we recognize that we're in the presence of someone greater. So much greater that we can't comprehend it. We don't just spend time in his presence when 
we're in a worship service. We are constantly in the presence of the greatness of God all day long. And it's a very humbling thought that God is God and we're not. That's his greatness. That means God is strong when we're not. God understands when we don't. God never fails when we do. It's the greatness of God. You think about those worshipers, those wise men at the first Christmas. They're a great example. But I don't think it's the best example. I think the best example of humility is Mary, the mother of Jesus, who without a shadow of a doubt, she worshiped all the way through from the announcement of Jesus' birth to all the way through, all the way up to his death. All her life, she was a worshiper of God. And when you look at Mary, it always got me the response that Mary had when she first heard the news that she was going to have a baby. Here's this virgin, a young teenage girl being told she was going to have a, a baby and this baby was going to be the savior of the world. There had to be so many things she didn't understand about that. I'm sure she didn't know the Bible like a religious leader, like even just an average Christian today knows about the Old Testament. But even though she didn't understand it all, she humbled herself and she said yes to God. That's part of what it means to be to have humility. Humility is trusting God and his love enough to say yes to him, even when you don't understand it all. Say, I trust you, God. I say yes to you. So when those wise men showed up that day and they saw the star and they went in and they realized Jesus is here, they humbled themselves in the greatness of God because Jesus is there. Now the wise men teach us a fifth thing about worship. Plan to give gifts. Now, this is the most famous thing about the wise men, right? Well, there may have been five wise men. There may have been two. I, we don't really know about the number, but we know they gave three gifts. We always assume each person gave a gift. It could have been six. It could have been 30. Who knows? These three gifts, though, became famous because they were part of the worship in their lives. Worship is not just taking in. Worship is also giving out. It's in taking action. In worship, we receive from God, but we also give back to God and others. Verse 2 and 11, they, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and of myrrh. And a lot of us never practice this part of worship. For one thing, what do you give God? I mean, at Christmas, you think about what do you give the person who has everything? What do you give the person who made everything? How do you figure that one out? We have what people call the little drummer boy syndrome. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give to my king. What could I give that would make any difference to God? What you could give to him is yourself. He made you to be in a relationship with him. So when you give him your choice, when you give him your love, when you give him your devotion, that is the greatest gift of all. You give that back to him. It's pretty interesting. This first Christmas, when you look at the gifts that they gave, they actually foreshadow who Jesus is going to be, what Jesus can do in my in your life. They also tell us about the kind of gifts that we need to give. Now, they gave him gold. That foreshadows the fact that Jesus is a king, because gold is a gift that was given to kings. So they recognized him as a king when they gave that gift. Jesus is the king of kings, the Bible says. This was the gift that was given to kings, gold, lots of gold, and they gave it to Jesus. So what does that mean for you and me? When we think about what we're to give back to him, it means you give your very best. You give him the valuables. You give him the best of your life. You give him the gold in your life. These wise men, the way they gave, teaches us how to give. You give him the best of yourself, the best of your time, the best of your resources, the best of your abilities, because he gave for us. He gave us all those things 
to us so we can give back to him. That's part of worship. Now, they also gave frankincense. As they gave frankincense, they recognized Jesus as a priest. In the temple worship of that day, Jewish temple worship, they used frankincense as a perfume that went up before God in the sacrifices that were made. So Jesus is our priest. A priest is a bridge builder, someone who goes between God and man. Jesus is the one who goes between God and us, and he stands between us to bring us together because of what he did for us on the cross and at his resurrection. He wants us to bring us close to God. That's what Jesus does. So what does this mean I give him? You give him your best, but you also give him your worst. You give him your sin and your guilt. Now, that may seem like a very strange gift, right? But Jesus died on the cross to give you the gift of forgiveness. So when I bring my sin and my guilt to him, and I say, I need your forgiveness in my life, there's a gift in that back to him. Recognizing what he did and why he did it. I need your forgiveness. And some of us, you know, we may need to pray that for the first time. You can pray with your eyes open. I need your forgiveness. All you have to do is ask. And you give him your sin and your guilt, and it's gone. And God gives you his forgiveness. We need it. Now, we may have prayed that or asked him that long ago. But somehow you wandered away from it lately. And you're letting those thoughts of those old sins, those old ways come back again and again. And they're haunting you right now. Recognize his forgiveness. What better gift can you give Jesus at Christmas than recognizing the gifts that he gave to you? The gift of his forgiveness. You give him your best and you also give him your worst. Seems odd, but that's what we need to do. Then these wise men gave him myrrh. In myrrh, they recognized him as a savior. Myrrh was a spice that was used in the embalming of bodies. So here, even in Jesus being a baby, we see this foreshadowing of his death. The fact that one day he's going to give his life for you and me so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be saved from our sins. What does that mean in our gift to him? It means you give him your all. Give him your best, give him your worst, and give him your all. He gave his all for you. He gave his life for you so that you can have life again. So give your all back to him. Jesus is your savior. You give your all back to him in serving other people and in loving him, and he'll strengthen you to give your all. And we can see meaning in these gifts today, but I doubt if the wise men could see all these things. All they knew was that these things were of great value. They brought to Jesus something that cost them a lot. And that's part of worship. You give to God a decision, a heart, a direction that costs you something. You give him part of yourself, part of your choice, part of your decision. So when we think about how we worship, how we follow these wise men, a real simple question with this one, what gift would you like to give Jesus this Christmas? What gift would you like to give Jesus? It may be a gift of recognizing his forgiveness. It might be a gift of trusting him with a relationship or a decision. It might be a gift of recognizing a new habit in your life that will help you draw close to him in the years to come. What gift? As I say that, what comes to mind? I'd like to give Jesus this, the gift of a change in your life. The gift of hope where you haven't had hope. As you think, that's the gift I'd like to give your worshiping. That's a part of worship, giving gifts back to him. So we plan to give gifts. So what do you plan to give Jesus in 2023? 
there's one final thing that the wise men teach us what to do, and it's how you end worship. You end in obedient response. You do what God has said to you. They met with God. God told them what to do next, and then they did what God told them to do. It often happens that God tells us what to do next, and the next step is to take in a relationship or in a decision in our lives or in our inner life. When I do that, I'm worshiping. Worship happens even after the worship service. The time we set aside for worship, when you do what God told us to do. Matthew 2.12 says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Notice that. They went back by another route. Here's something about worship. Worship often changes the route of your life, changes your direction. You come in one way and you go out another happens to me all the time. I come in and I'm on the selfish route, just thinking about myself. Something happens in worship and I get changed over to the serving route, thinking about how other people, how I can serve them. Or I come in and I'm on the bad attitude route. Maybe something happened out on the parking lot or something. And it happens to me all the time. You mean pastors have bad attitudes? Oh yeah, absolutely. We're no different than everybody else. Don't ever put a pastor on a pedestal. They just... Pastors, the only difference about them should be that they recognize their sin a lot more. They recognize Jesus' love a lot more, and they want to show you that. That's the only difference, I think, between a pastor and somebody else, is that since they study God's word more, they learn more about God, and they learn more about how much they need him. So don't put your pastor on a pedestal, because they can absolutely come into a bad attitude on a Sunday morning. And then something happens in worship, and it causes me to go out with a refreshed attitude, a faithful attitude. Or I come in on the worry route and something happens in worship and I change to the trusting God route. Or I come in and the root of my life is the here and now, just looking at what's right in front of me. Something happens in worship and God gets my eyes above the here and now to see what's going to happen next. Even see all the way to eternity sometimes. And recognize that's not all. I've got a lot more plans for you than right, just right now, right here. When you lift your eyes like that, when you trust him like that, it changes the root on your life. And that's what happens in worship. When we worship him, when you trust him, when you let him change the root, you act on what he said to do. And we always expect some great results immediately. Sometimes it takes time. It doesn't happen right away. And we need patience. This Christmas, as you're having fun, doing your favorite things, like decorating, baking, meeting old friends, Spending time with the family, opening presents, enjoying the lights, whatever it is. Don't forget to worship Jesus this Christmas. Worship the way the wise men taught us. By first starting with a sincere desire, developing an expectant spirit, choosing to express joy, humbling yourself, planning to give gifts, and responding obediently to what God desires for you. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and God bless and I'll see you next week.